we've got this enormous environmental challenge. So where we are with GBS, very stable, very predictable, but about 20 to 30 onwards, it's going to look totally different, totally different. And it's really exciting because we have to unlock those technologies as not just as Hanson, as an industry. Hello everyone, and welcome to FutureX, a podcast by Martin Hearn, Event Director, FutureBuild, and co-host Dr. Oliver Jones, Research Director, Rider Architecture. FutureX will bring together some of the brightest minds and some of the most disruptive thinkers and innovators to transform the construction industry and build a FutureX community of like-minded people that can begin to make a real change. We really hope you enjoy the series. Hello and welcome to FutureX. I'm Martin Hearn, Event Director of FutureBuild, and I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Oliver Jones. This week, we've got another Net Zero Pioneer and we're talking to Hanson Concrete. And we've got two guests on. We've got Daniel Clayton, who's their technical director, and Ian Clements, who's their commercial director. And I think, Oliver, what stood out for me is that sometimes Concrete gets a bit of a bad rap. But with their new product, EcoCrete, but also looking back at all of the ESG and sustainable principles and practices that have been going on, there's a huge amount happening in Concrete at the moment. Absolutely. We've talked about some other great companies on the podcast who are all working in the concrete space. And I've reiterated time and time again, maybe not that popular to reiterate with some of the activist groups within construction. I am not worried about concrete. I am not worried about the sustainability of concrete. I think technology is moving at a rate of knots. And actually we're not only seeing carbon neutral, we're now seeing carbon negative advancements in this space. So for me, I, I'm not worried about the space at all. It's super exciting. I think you've always got a criticism to be leveled, particularly at large companies. But what Hanson show here is that they have been grappling with this at a real depth. They've been really diving deep on all of the ESG criteria that they need to meet and doing some brilliant work along the way. We threw some, some hard questions at Dan and Ian, and it's clear these guys have had those questions leveled at them in the past. I think there's always questions around if you're using waste products. What processes is it, is it coming from? How much energy does that process currently use? But the argument still stands that they use it. it currently at the moment, if the waste products are to be used, use it. Because that's the only way that we're going to start progressing and moving forward. Particularly if it's going to produce a, a carbon neutral or lower carbon emission concrete product. So I think I was really uh, encouraged after the chat with Anna and Ian. It's really easy, I think, sometimes to portray big companies in a slightly cynical light, not at all here. I think these guys are doing some really interesting work. It's clear there's a passion. It's clear there's an energy and it's clear that they're going to achieve some really great things in terms of sustainable concrete in the future. You're absolutely right. Let's get Daniel and Ian on. Hi, Dan, Ian, thanks for joining us guys. Thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's great to join you. It's always great for the listeners to get a feel for who you are and where you've come from. So can you give us a bit of an introduction to yourselves? Yes, yeah, so I'm Daniel Clayton. I'm the technical director for Concrete with Hanson. My, my background originally is a geologist. And then I joined originally a company that doesn't exist in Redland, making bricks and clay roofing tiles, migrated into concrete roof tiles, and then moved into the more heavy side, ready mix concrete precast things like that. And always, I would say the focus during that was on 
optimizing products for cost, for performance. And I think I'll leave it there because I think that's a segue into what we're going to talk about more. We're gone. Cool. Ian? Yeah, and I'm Ian Clements. I'm the commercial director for Concrete at Hanson UK. I joined Hanson about two and a half years ago. But prior to that, I was at a market-leading installation and dry lining distributor called SRG. And my entire career has been spent in the construction industry with a focus on commercial sales and witnessed sort of sustainability coming through in both businesses. And it's been a real key focus to my role at Hanson. Tell us a bit about what we're here to talk about today. I know it's concrete based, so give us a bit of an insight. Yeah, it's our revised range of concrete. We have had um, sustainability in our minds for many years, and we have had low carbon concretes available for close to a decade now. But up until the 2020, we didn't really see much uptake. We've seen a real advance in the market. Certainly 2021, we were getting more and more of our major customers and clients, big schemes, government funded projects, et cetera, starting to ask us for no carbon concrete. So we've done a lot of work over the last years in refreshing and relaunching our range called EcoCrete. And uh, we're sure we've got a real, you know, excellent offering now, really good technical backup. And we can help customers reduce their CO2 and concretes from 30% up to 85% here and now. I'm working on a lot of things for the future in terms of carbon capture and so on, which I'm sure we'll go into in a moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a really interesting space at the moment, the decarbonisation of concrete. And we've had various innovators on that look at the aggregate side of things or the cement side of things or the carbon capture. What approach are you taking at Anson? So I think Ian summed it up a little bit there in that there's been a change in the headwinds in in the very recent years and to my original comment, so we were always focused on innovation in concrete around self-compacted concrete, can faster concrete for faster strike times, efficiencies on site, stronger concrete for thinner elements, more pumpable concrete for high rise. It was all very build and time and cost focused. And this sea change is coming in that now more and more clients are saying, oh, what about CO2? What about CO2? And so the shift, the difference with EcoCrete is we still have to meet all the performance requirements, but our, our mindset is around two key things. We're designing the concrete with low carbon in mind. Everything we're doing feed into the supply, the materials of that concrete is about lowering carbon. And then the two elements that we've identified, we think are really important to our clients are how do we make understanding that range and accessing it more easy? Because it's, people are confused about this topic and there's a lot of mixed messaging. And the second thing we're working really hard is how do we make carbon in our business more visible and understandable for our clients as well? So I think what we're doing is we, we, we it's almost a, it's a philosophical shift in the mentality about how we design our concrete. And it, it seems to fit with what we're seeing in the wider public and commitments to global warming, et cetera, in a lot of industries. And that's primarily where we're fitting on EcoCrete is to help. Uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty, Dan and Ian. So people want to talk about embodied carbon. So let's dive in on embodied carbon. Let's, what are the products and, and how are you tackling embodied carbon and lowering embodied carbon in those products? Well, I think, you know, primarily the, we have an alternative, well-known cementitious material called 
GBS, ground granulated blast furnace slag, which we can use to replace cement. Primary CO2 in our concrete comes from Portland cement, but two given off because of that breakdown, chemical breakdown. We also have fossil fuels to heat the kilns, both of which we're working on in other parts of the business. So if we reduce the amount of cement in our concrete, we lower the CO2. Now that now coming to the embodied carbon, we, what we do is in our business, we are able to, particularly for cement, measure how much fuel we use, how much we produce, so we can get very accurate embodied carbon data on our cement sources, which we then bring through our concrete business. So we try and keep our data as live and as relevant as possible about embodied carbon in the concrete, primarily reducing the same one we have to, to lower that embodied carbon. We also are trying very hard to engage with the specification community to identify where their habits are driving up carbon in their projects before we even get to the introducing low carbon concretes. We see water cement ratios and minimum cement contents being applied to, to jobs and we don't always understand why. You guys must come across this quite a lot in terms of there's always a visceral reaction to concrete and low carbon concrete and will never be low carbon, but it, clearly there's an awful lot of, an awful lot of movement in this space and innovation. As I alluded to earlier, it's something we've been addressing for some time now, and we have been using biomass fuels to reduce carbon. We've also been shifting to electric vehicles, all of the sort of typical things you would see from a number of companies. And actually we've worked a lot on efficiency around the manufacturer of cement. And if you look at a benchmark. 1991 to today, we've actually already reduced our body carbon by 50%. Um, so we're a long way on that journey, but we're pushing forward and we have industry leading commitments to sustainability. We have an ambition to be carbon neutral by 2050, but we have brought forward some of our commitments to 2030 and they are industry leading Heidelberg materials. Our parent company was at the forefront of our business focus. I think what's really interesting, and you alluded to this earlier, Ian, is that the eco-creek can reduce from anywhere from 30 to 85%. What's the difference between, and I think you've got a product called eco-creek extra and elite. How, how does that differentiation in the CO2 savings work? Okay. So the eco-creek range kicks in at 30% reduction, which would be our standard eco-creek product. And that goes from 30 to 65%. Then we have the eco-creek extra, which would sit between 65 and 80% reduction. And then anything above 80%, we would pass as our EcoCrete Elite range. And so Dan, what's, what's driving those changes in CO2? So There's a couple of elements there. One, one is replacing cement with GPS, increasing levels, but there's the other things. So. We are trying to minimize the overall cement contents, but not just if it was a 400 kgs of powder, trying to reduce that to 50 kgs of powder, but also increasing the amount of substitution we have of cement that lowers carbon. We, and that means we have to tighten up our process control, our management of the concrete through the plants, our raw materials, reducing variance all the way through the plant to, to achieve that. Whereas as in the old days, if we were just being driven by performance, we, we didn't have the same incentive to do that. We could maybe be a bit more conservative, sandbag our strengths a bit and things like that. So we are looking at being really efficient with our replacement levels and our control of the concrete. And I say that's a different mentality. 
We are also, we have some new admixtures and accelerators that are specific to be used with high GPS mixes. And we're, we're introducing those into the range to help us increase those loadings, but also help customers who are concerned about the scenting time of low carbon concretes, because generally they are, they're longer setting times. So if you're looking at program, concrete frame construction, post-tension elements, etc., we've got accelerators help offset some of those concerns. So it's a it, very proven technology. We've used GBS for a long time, but we really are, we constantly, every month we're pushing up our average replacement levels. We're really addressing this envelope here. And how's the customer response been so far? So we do find it's difficult to break down some habits. If customers are particularly used to using ascending concrete, trying to convince them to try new things can be a challenge. So the earlier we can get involved to run trials, demonstrations on site, et cetera, the better. And also we've got some customers that may have tried a cement basement concrete in the past. We have completely revolutionized the concrete as Daniel said, with the use of eco accelerators, we can now change the behavior of the setting speeds on site. So we may be able to provide you with a completely different concrete to what we tried three, four, five years ago. So it's really key to get involved nice and early be able to demonstrate what we can do, run some trials on site and support our customers through their concerns. Yeah. And that is hundred percent the key really. I was at a conference yesterday and we, the representation from some big contractors there, and that was one of the key messages. So when the contractors and the installers do need to think differently to adopt low carbon concrete, we don't manage the shoulder seasons in the UK, we don't really put any plans in place to mitigate for high temperatures, to mitigate for low temperatures, because we have such a temperate climate really. But by, by planning these things in, by putting some kind of shading in during the winter, you protect your concrete from cracking and dusting from early evaporation by putting, by planning your program in the winter so that you do more internal works, or you do have some heating and hauling, or, or you put extra formwork in your plan to allow for some slower striking times. You can adopt these technologies more easily. The challenge we have, and this is where the pinch point is, is that we are very committed as a supplier and the very top level of the supply chain, low carbon be important for them. But because of the way we manage the supply chain in this country through the contracts and breaking into packages and tenders, sub-tenders, that's getting dissolved. So there's a big piece in the middle where the guys are still planning and thinking about their build in the way they always have done. And that's where the learn, that's why they, if, we if we encounter a project when it's already defined and people have already bid, it's harder to win that conversation. But if people are around the table at the beginning, we say, if you put in two extra arrays of four work, you can take less than hundred kg per meter cubed of your concrete and actually your build program won't be affected. You just have to be a bit different in the way you approach it. And I think that's the really important thing for us. Are we able to ask a bit of a difficult question about ground granulated blast furnace slag that you've probably had an awful lot, which is it's, we're all in a transitionary period. It's a brilliant replacement for cement, but it comes from a super high energy process. What's your thinking around this in terms of the origin of that waste material and how long it's going to be around? Yeah, you're quite right. It comes from the steel manufacturing process, but it is a byproduct. Um, 
prior to it being used as a cement replacement, it was going to landfill. So we're actually taking a waste product and re-engineering it and upcycling it to use. So yes, steel does have a high embodied carbon, but we're taking, as I say, something from that in terms of the waste product and recycling. So it's actually preventing a fair bit of landfill. And staying on that, sorry, staying on that theme of waste products as well, I understand that EcoCrete is also has a more easier end of the life, but it, it contributes to the circular economy. Yeah, as a, as a concrete, it's essentially fully recyclable. You can re-crush and reuse concrete at end of life. I think one of the most important things as well is to actually understand that in terms of durability, thermal mass, we underutilize concrete as a design material in this country. We could have much more efficient buildings if we, un if we always designed and understood how concrete can help keep a building warm and cool and things like that. So it's, a, it's not just the fact that at the end of life, you can demolish a concrete building. And we have seen, in fact, you're seeing some examples around the web where people are taking a full modular kind of approach to this with concrete and saying, oh, actually we could deconstruct this building and use it somewhere else or repurpose it. So I actually have to crush. Yeah. I, as it stands, we can take an old concrete building or an old concrete slab and reprocess it through the business and reuse it as a, well, as an aggregate or as a concrete. What the challenge in that piece, actually, the challenge is that we need to, we tend to downcycle a lot because of conservative approach. And that's where a lot of our focus is around that topic is demolition materials in general. How do we bring those more into day to day? It's more normal mm. to have 50, 60, 70% of those sorts of materials. And I just did want to just want to say, add to Ian's comments around GBS and its use GBS. In the standards, that is the material that we can replace cement to the highest amounts. PFA, inkhousine, clay, these other options that are not that readily available in the UK now. And um, calcine clay will be, but not yet. Calcine clay is 50%, PFA is 35%. We technically, with the revision of the standard later this year, we'll be able to replace cement with 95% of GBS. So it, it is without doubt the best option for lowering carbon in concrete. We as Hanson UK get the majority of our GBS from the UK. There's lots of talk about it being a imported material and yes, there is import, but it's a supply and demand thing. And when we do source from outside the UK, we are, we're the majority of our sourcing is from surplus GBS from other developed nations. We are working very hard to develop calcine clays and other Cementitious materials, also natural pozzolanas. So we're not being lazy on it, but it is there and it is available. So we, we have to stick to it. PFA, we don't really have any more and coal-fired power stations are not really the future for anybody. And the other thing I'm really important when you look at a UK perspective, people talk about UBS and global CO2. A lot of other countries have been developing very fast and building enormous cement infrastructure, China, Africa, massive. And that's why the global CO2 footprint has grown. The UK, when was the last time we opened the cement plant in the UK? I couldn't tell you. So our cement footprint has stayed broadly speaking, exactly the same for decades. 
the use of supplementary semester materials is what we've done. So our, we're doing the right thing in the UK. It is still the best option, but the important message to everybody is we're not just sitting here going, that's great. We're doing really well. We've got this, we're investing heavily in carbon neutral cement in other cementitious materials. And I want to be part of that. That's a value for me. I think it's, and I was, and it makes it really interesting. If you're in the cement concrete world, all of a sudden there's a whole load of new stuff. You can see the R and D, the academia is gearing up now for the first time. It hasn't had to move like that for decades, really, because the technology hasn't had to move huge amounts. And now we've got this enormous environmental challenge. So where we are with GBS, very stable, very predictable, but about 2030 onwards, it's going to look totally different, totally different. And it's really exciting because we have to unlock those technologies as not just as Hanson as an industry. So we've talked a little bit earlier about some of the barriers holding this back. And a big one of those was behavioral change and just clients changing the way that they do things. You know, how do you go about introducing this new product into the market? Do you have particular case studies or user cases that sort of support that? Ian, what's been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Where we've had customers come to us where they have seen demands from their clients to say, you have a quota on embodied carbon that you have to hit, we support them through it. We've then gone back and done some video case studies, etc. In fact, we just earlier this week ran a webinar. We had a thousand people register for it. And we really focused on that topic of having confidence and we showcased the number of customers. We had a live panel from some of our clients just talking about their experiences and the challenges they face and how we work together. We had a really good video from one of our clients in the North called Northern Steel Decking. Did a project up in Scotland and it was for the Scottish government and they wanted to reduce carbon by 30%. And this was a flooring contract. They do steel that floors, they pour concrete over. And then typical, used to using term one, talked to us about their concerns of section speed and so on. Through the use of those eco accelerators that I mentioned earlier, we actually were able to reduce 68% of the CO2. So we far exceeded their clients' aspirations. And the feedback was really positive. It, it set just at the right time, not too fast. So we avoided cracking, but quick enough that they could then get um, lifting plant onto the deck to, to raise the next floor. And it went really, and we were able to do some video on site and with the managing director, on still decking, providing his feedback to give others that confidence to think with an open mind, give it a try. This might sound like a stupid question, but what's holding us back in only having EcoCrete? I think technically there's still concerns over setting time and program. And like I said, that sort of cascade through the supply chain when, you know, if you're someone who's going to build a certain element in the project and you do your tender in the old way, you're predicating all of your costs on what you've done before. And so I think getting someone to tend up, well, this is, how I can do the old way, but if we need to do it the new way, this is what, this is slightly different. And the cost could be a little bit higher. Like I said, they might need another floor work array, might need another shift. But so there's that, that's one sort of barrier. The other one is I think just simply understanding around carbon. So I'm a technical guide, Ian's commercial guy. The sustainability competence within a lot of organizations is still quite sort of organic and quite new. And so communicating carbon and the value of it through 
the supply chain and through the business, I think is one of the things that we're working on. We see that as just being transparent about what we're doing as, as, as I think the guys, if you talk to them about mega pastels and strength and things like that, they understand it. Talking about pound notes, they understand it. And we're saying, actually, there's a really important third piece here. And they said, we don't understand that. So it's, we, it's a learn. I think I wouldn't say it's a barrier. It's just, it's, we're in almost a natural learning place. But one, one thing that came from our webinar that was really interesting, one of the contractors that said that they're currently in the process of projects where there's a carbon target in the project that they're signed up to. And if they go over it, there's penalties, financial penalties. But if they go under it, there's actually a financial incentive. I think there must, because of that kind of mechanism, there must be a recognition from some key stakeholders at sort of government level recognizing that to, to make this happen through the full supply chain, there needs to be a bit of a financial lever to get people's attention. And then they're going to learn about that middle gap where it's an understanding thing. I could add to that, you know, what Daniel was just saying that we are seeing that real acceleration across all our customers. Two years ago, January, 2021, we did a survey, 700 of our customers. We found that only 11% we spoke to had a strategy in place to tackle sustainability. And on the webinar we did earlier this week, we did a live poll and 78% of the people responded to say that they were seeing demand from their customers for sustainable solutions now and had a strategy in place to tackle it, which just shows a sea change in the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we and Oliver talk about this all the time. It feels like we're at a real tipping point. And I think the big advances are going to be in carbon literacy, actually people understanding what they need to do to achieve this and, and being governed by incentives as well, I think is a great way of accelerating this. Looking forward, what's Hanson's vision for low carbon concrete solutions? We want to do exactly what you're saying. We don't want to supply anything other than low carbon concrete. We want to have unlocked the technology so that those people who are really think they, they can only achieve program with a pure cement mix, we've convinced them otherwise. And that's where that conf low carbon for us, we, low carbon concrete isn't even defined anywhere. And that's one of the issues I think the industry has. Now for us, we consider low carbon, we're offering you a concrete that's got lower carbon than the one you're using today. That's low carbon concrete. And then tomorrow you're going to use concrete that's got lower carbon than that. And that's for us, is, that is low carbon. That's why we've got a range of scalable a scalable range. And there's another important element in this, I think, and that's the, the kids. So all these people we're talking to, they've got families and their children are, for them, sustainability and global warming are a real thing right now. They see it in the news and they're coming home from school and they're asking questions. So even though we talk a lot about these very large contractors and large design houses and things like that, there are plenty of like, smaller local builders, constructors, who aren't, they, they're not educated in the carbon world, but they're getting asked at home about, are you building the extension on my school, dad? What are, you, what are you doing about carbon? And dad, I don't know. So if we can make it, that kind of information accessible to those sorts of builders, there's a whole ethical bit here where people will do the right thing because just because it feels right. And I think we've only just, because we don't communicate it very well, and that's why we're trying really hard. We haven't really started to tap into that, making it accessible. When you talk about the major tier ones who've got 45 people in their sustainability department alone, it's very, you can understand, but 
a guy who might just be running a one or two vans of contractors through his home office, how do they understand this carbon argument? So it's a, yeah, it's, it's very important for us to communicate to all levels in the industry. Yeah. Your chief executive, Simon Willis came out with a big statement saying that your ambition for Hanson is to be a leader in sustainability. And Ian, you alluded to this goes way beyond just low carbon concrete. There's been practices that you've done on the ESG side, on the quarries and bringing back wildlife and working with local communities. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that Hanson do to drive themselves towards net zero as a company? Yeah, absolutely. We also have real focus on social value. And the webinar we just did, Let's Talk Sustainability, was actually third in a series, with our second being surely focused on that social value. And that can range with engaging with local communities around our quarries, plants, et cetera. And we promote our ideas of how we can reach out to the local community and support them with funding and support on a whole range of projects. We also, you know, when we have disused quarries or we get to the end of life in the quarry, we invest in bringing it back to wildlife, resorts, all sorts, anything we can do to really support the local environment. So we're obviously all about innovators and disruptors on FutureX. And what are you guys doing to embrace that audience, embrace those startups and those businesses? We, uh, we work a lot with Natasha from Low Carbon Materials, and they've produced their own aggregate, their carbon negative aggregate. So how are you engaging with these guys and these other technologies? I think we are represented as Hanson through our various different product lines on lots of the different bodies in terms of British Ready Mix Concrete Association and asphalt technology. We've got through our asphalt business, there's lots of work going on about wall mix binders, bio based binders. So we're interacting with the other innovators in the supply chain. And then things like these sort of startup companies looking at net zero aggregate, we are doing work with them and other inputs into it. So we monitor all of those sort of at a local level, but also as part of Heidelberg materials to see where we can make those work. And, but one of the things we are doing at a more local level is very much now we've recently acquired a, a, a business in Manchester called A1 services that, that, that would be considered, let's say traditional muck away and recycling type outfit. And we're currently integrating that into our business up there with how we're using their demolition street. So is that it, the, that services, is that around reintegrating concrete and recycling concrete in existing buildings into your processes? Yes. It's demolition waste back into aggregate. The technology's moved on a lot and it's from up and that's where I came back earlier. We've, we've got to understand how we can better manage that waste stream and better leverage it back in so that there's no longer that. A specifier won't come along with a specification for a major project and say, must be a hundred percent version aggregate. It will, if we say we can do 50% replacement in these elements and we'll keep only the very serious high durability or high, high strength components will have either none or very low replacement levels. So at least we're practically managing what we can do. Yeah. So understanding that, and that's a bit of a learning, but I think for us in the concrete industry. I think we always finish our podcast with asking what your vision of the future is. That's yourself as an individual. And what do you want to see the built environment and it's in its journey to net zero and sustainability? Dan, shall I go to you first on this one? It's a tough question. It is a tough question. I think, yeah, I think for me, 
I would like to be in a world where we have net zero cement going into concrete that's already highly optimized with other sustainable materials. And I also think that to enable that change, we need to embrace digital technology and using maturity sensors like the SMARO system we have to optimize what people are doing on site and give them the confidence that the strength development in situ allows them to break through. I think there's a willingness. That's the weird thing about this conversation. There's not really resistance. It's not that people are resistant. They're just, it's, I don't want to move first because it's that whole thing, early adopters versus late adopters, that whole thing you talk about with, it's almost like no one wants to be an early adopter because who wants to be the first person to say, yeah, I'm going to do a 60 story building with, with no cement in it. No, it's, it's not resistance. It's pick one confidence, I'd say. So I want to live in a world where people are confident and they don't even think about it. They're saying, let's use that technology. It's the greenest technology. This is the most sustainable way to build. Let's do it. That's a brilliant vision to have. Ian? Yeah, for me, yeah, I think it's happening already, but I want to see more and more customers, clients, stakeholders from right across the industry, setting down some ambitious targets and sticking to them. We as Heidelberg Materials, our parent company, signed the business ambition for 1.5 degrees C commitment. And we've also joined the United Nations Race to Zero company. And we're always looking at ways we can accelerate and go above and beyond our commitments. And I think that's key really have an ambitious attitude to sustainability and work collaboratively right across the industry to make that happen. And so if people are at home and they're listening and they're going, I am brave enough to make this change. How can I access more information on this? You talked about your webinar. Where do we direct them? Yeah. So the webinar has been put on our website. So we have a recording of the entire webinar and if Anyone would like to catch up on that. And all three of the webinars in the series are available. They can go to our website, which is hanson.co.uk forward slash en forward slash let's talk sustainability. And on there, they'll find all the recordings and information. They can also get in touch with us via our website, either to our concrete business or through to our marketing department with any inquiry and be happy to get involved and help. Brilliant. Thank you. And thank you both for coming on today as well. It's really inspiring. And, you know, I've had a good read of your website and Hanson very much are leading the way in sustainability. And you've really showcases that commitment to reaching net zero. And you've got strict targets in 2030. You've brought some forward to 2025. It's just inspiring to see. Thank you. It's a great feeling being part of it because we genuinely do want to make a difference. It's a bit, we're a business, but when you work with the people I work with, the team, you, there's a feeling there. There's a feeling. It's a value. It's no longer an objective. Oliver, that was absolutely fascinating conversation. And I think at a top level, I think it's clear that Hanson are fully committed to decarbonizing their business, but also supporting their customers on that route. And I think we talked about that a little bit about actually a lot of this has got to be driven by the specifier community. The concrete solutions are there. We just need the uptake to increase. Yeah, it's really to speak into them that they take the responsibility incredibly seriously, given the size that they are and given the market share that they have and the customer base in order to educate clients and help clients make more sustainable choices. And I think we need to be working together as an industry. We need to engage everybody that's doing progressive, positive things in the climate action space. 
And I think there's a role and responsibility there for some of these bigger companies as well to be working more actively with the startup community, to be working with innovators and pioneers. And that's why it's really important for me as well to, to have them as part of Future Axia in that these guys have got a role to play in working with those startups in such an interesting space. The more we work together and the more that we collectively attack some of these big sustainability problems and get our teeth into them, the quicker we're going to get to that net zero future. Absolutely. And I think we talked about Eto Creek, that can reduce CO2 emissions by up to 85% if you're looking at their sort of elite product, but at a very base level, it's between 30 and 65%. And it's a huge reduction. I think sometimes we can, and I think you mentioned this in the intro, be a little bit cynical when it's one of the larger brands. And we, if this was a startup with this, we would be rapidly clinging to it. Imagine the amount of investment that would be coming in. But... Oh, absolutely. I think there's all the thing that we've talked about it loads. The thing that really excites me is what happens when you start mashing a load of these products together? You know, what happens if we start to use low carbon materials, lightweight aggregate with yeah. eco creep? How, what happens when we blend these sustainable solutions together? And we're getting there. We're seeing these collaborations start. We've seen, I've seen the conversations firsthand. We've had a number of material mashups in London pubs over the last couple of years. So it's happening. People are having these conversations. And I'm just really excited to see what happens next. I agree. No, I love the word, and you said it a lot, material mashup. And I think it needs to be happen, happening more. Collaboration is the way to drive things forward. What we stand for, it's what Future X stands for as well, is about bringing these people together. And I think it was really great to hear that Hanson are actually already talking to startups and are starting to look at these different solutions because in the concrete space, the amount of innovation that's going on it's phenomenal. It's almost, they've seen one of the biggest impacts you can make is sorting out the cement and concrete industry. And it's a fascinating space to be in. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you like, share and subscribe. And we'll be back very soon. Join our community to stay up to date with all things FutureX. Visit futurebuild.co.uk to sign up. Please also like them and share them to help grow our community. You can subscribe to the podcasts within your favourite podcast platform. Thanks so much for listening and we hope you'll be back again soon.